everyone, this is Jeffrey Kerr. I'm back with another installment of the News of the Month series on the Kerr Reviews podcast. This is where I talk about a few different entertainment news stories that feel important and or interesting to me. Each of the stories you'll be hearing me talk about have been divided into four separate categories. The first set of news stories is actually about how I've been keeping busy with this podcast lately. For those who've been following the show for a while, you should be aware that I usually like to provide new episodes on a bi-weekly basis, with occasional exceptions. Though for the month of September, I ended up receiving a few opportunities from press representatives to interview different creative talents. The ones that ended up coming to fruition were with fellow podcaster Dean Reese, actress Morgan James and musician Meg Tui, as well as the filmmaking team of Scott Beck and Brian Woods. So following last month's edition of this series and my predictions for this year's Emmy Awards, I was able to provide new episodes of the Care Reviews podcast all throughout the month of September. While I'm currently not sure if or when I'll be this busy with the show again, it was still great getting to stay active with all of my loyal followers. Hopefully, I'll continue providing other exciting interviews in the future. Though in other news, on September 29th, which was just a few days before my interview with Scott Beck and Brian Woods was published, I was thrilled to wake up that morning to find that the Care Reviews podcast has reached over 1,000 plays altogether. A huge thank you to everyone who's been listening, as well as those who have been on the show. Matt Neglia, Cordell Martin, Alex Meyer, Joy Franz, Eric Woodall, Louis J. Stadlin, Karen Ziemba, Aaron Sullivan, Corey Lee Blossy, Addie Morales, Josh Parham, Dan Bayer, Casey Lee Clark, Brandon Stanwick, Alan Campbell, Ira David Wood III, Ariana DeBose, James Earl Jones II, Nathan Peck, Neil Morgan, Ken Cragen, A.R. Rahman, Robert Hartwell, William I.V. Long, Ron Fassler, Heather J. Strickland, Eric Capel, Vivian Benish, Dane Reese, Morgan James, and Meg Tui. This next set of news stories is a recap of this year's Emmy Awards, which have just taken place on September 20th. As for how I did in my predictions overall, I got about 17 out of 23 categories correct. I ended up being right that the final season of Pop TV's Shit's Creek was going to pull a clean shit sweep in the comedy categories. It had one outstanding comedy series, outstanding lead actor in a comedy series for Eugene Levy, outstanding lead actress in a comedy series for Catherine O'Hara, outstanding supporting actor in a comedy series for Dan Levy, outstanding supporting actress in a comedy series for Annie Murphy, even beating the presumed frontrunner Alex Borstein for The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, as well as outstanding directing for a comedy series and outstanding writing for a comedy series for this series finale. In the limited series TV movie categories, I was right that it was going to be a big night for HBO's Watchmen. That show ended up winning Outstanding Limited Series, Outstanding Lead Actress in a Limited Series TV Movie for Regina King, Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Limited Series TV Movie for Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, even beating the presumed frontrunner Jim Parsons in Hollywood, and Outstanding Writing for a Limited Series TV Movie or Dramatic Special. 
Though the following categories where Watchmen did not come out on top were Outstanding Lead Actor in a Limited Series TV Movie, my prediction Jeremy Irons, lost to the predicted frontrunner Mark Ruffalo, and I know this much is true, Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Limited Series TV Movie, my prediction Gene Smart lost to Uzo Duba in Mrs. America, and Outstanding Directing for a Limited Series TV Movie or Dramatic Special, which end up going to my prediction, Unorthodox. I did not think Mark Ruffalo would win, given that he was the lone representation for his series, coupled with the fact that I Know This Much Is True was a show that was very much under the radar while it was on the air. So the category of outstanding lead actor in a limited series TV movie to me seemed ripe for an upset. So I ended up predicting Jeremy Irons to win as not only part of a Watchmen sweep, but also because he was the only nominee in that category whose show was up for a limited series, not counting Hugh Jackman since his Project's Bad Education was a TV movie, though at the same time, given how the other nominees didn't have broad support for their shows, it was kind of slim pickings for voters to choose from. I thought Gene Smart had a great shot of winning Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Limited Series TV Movie given that she's an Emmy darling, coupled with the fact that she was the Lone Watchman nominee in her category, so I figured she would have been an easy pick to win. However, Uzo Duba managed to overcome some vote splitting with her two Mrs. America co-stars, Margot Martindale and Tracy Ullman, by coming out victorious for her role as Shirley Chisholm. In fact, I had recently written a piece for Golder with some help from Joyce Ng about how Uzo has become the third performer in history to win Emmys for acting in comedy, drama, and limited series TV movie following in the footsteps of Ed Asner and Cloris Leachman, which you can find a link to in the episode notes. Meanwhile, I knew Unorthodox was going to win directing for two reasons. One, there were three Watchmen episodes in contention there, so there was definitely risk of vote splitting. Two, the director's branch of the Television Academy tends to favor people who've directed every single episode of the entire limited series. Maria Schrader had directed all four episodes of Unorthodox, so therefore she was nominated for the whole show, and thus I had a feeling that she was going to win. In the drama categories, I was right that it was going to be a pretty good night for HBO's succession, I knew it was winning Outstanding Drama Series, Outstanding Lead Actor in a Drama Series for Jeremy Strong, and Outstanding Writing for a Drama Series. While I also predicted it would win Outstanding Directing for a Drama Series, it was actually for the episode This Is Not For Tears, not the episode that did end up winning Hunting. As for the other three acting categories, I didn't fare as well. For Outstanding Lead Actress in a Drama Series, it was a toss-up for me between Olivia Colman in The Crown and Laura Linney in Ozark. I ended up predicting Colman to win, though despite getting some last-minute feelings about Zendaya and Euphoria, I wasn't sure if she was actually going to pull off winning the Emmy, especially given that her show was a teen drama series coupled with the fact that it didn't have any other major above-the-line nominations, but she did. For Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Drama Series, while Billy Crudup was the favorite to win for the morning show according to experts and users on Gold Derby, 
I wasn't really sure about that. With his program getting snubbed for Outstanding Drama Series, that to me suggested that the industry probably respected the morning show, but they weren't really passionate about it. So the category of drama supporting actor to me seemed ripe for an upset. I predicted Bradley Whitford to win for The Handmaid's Tale, given not only how respected he is, but also how well that show has done in the acting categories within the last three years. Yet Billy Crudup ended up winning. While some people believe that victory was to make up for the morning show's underperformance in Emmy nominations, I personally don't buy that at all because I find it to be so hypocritical. If voters weren't passionate enough to nominate the morning show for outstanding drama series, then why would they all of a sudden want to make up for it with a win? If you ask me, I think Crudup's win was more a result of slim pickings to choose from in his category. You had three men from Succession, Nicholas Braun, Kieran Culkin, and Matthew McFadden, who likely canceled each other out. You had two contenders who were in drama series nominees, Giancarlo Esposito and Better Call Saul, and Bradley Whitford in The Handmaid's Tale, yet clearly didn't have that much support this year. And you had Jeffrey Wright, whose show Westworld missed out on a drama series nomination this year. While Mark Duplass was also in contention for the morning show, his nomination was not only a surprise, but I have a feeling he only barely made the cut. For Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Drama Series, I, like many others, predicted Helena Bonham Carter to win for her standout performance as Princess Margaret on the third season of The Crown. Yet, Julia Garner won for her role on Ozark for the second year in a row. I did not think she would be able to pull that off, given how this was the fifth consecutive year where people used a plurality voting system as opposed to a rank system. In the past, it was usually the consensus choice that would win. Though in recent years, we haven't seen as many repeats as usual because of the new voting system. Then again, we still do get an occasional repeat here or there. As for the remaining two categories that were presented on the telecast, I correctly predicted RuPaul's Drag Race was winning Outstanding Reality Competition Program and that last week tonight with John Oliver was winning Outstanding Variety Talk Series. This next set of news stories is about a couple of questionable high-profile directing gigs. Following the box office successes of Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocketman, there's quite a few biographical films about musicians in the works. One of them in particular sounds interesting to say the least because Madonna is set to direct a biopic about her own life, which she's also co-writing with Juno's Oscar-winning screenwriter Diablo Cody. This would be her third outing as director, I haven't seen either of her previous works behind the camera, but I'm aware that Madonna's track record as a filmmaker so far hasn't been any good. The two films she has previously directed, 2008's Filth and Wisdom and 2011's W.E., weren't exactly critical hits by any stretch of the imagination. When I posted this news in the Facebook group, one of my friends posted a comment saying, on the one hand, she would be a good judge of how to depict herself. On the other hand, the disastrous critical reception to 2011's W.E. is a sign that maybe she should leave directing to a more critically acclaimed director. She can serve as an advisor or even a producer, but a director? That's a bit too far in my opinion. I wrote a reply to that saying, obviously producers to executives never decide who should direct a movie based on critical reception of the director's previous work alone. They just look at what they can be capable of that would be an essential 
necessity for a specific kind of film. Though what I do know for sure is that no matter how this movie will turn out, it will certainly get a lot of attention due to it being a Madonna biopic directed by Madonna herself. In other news, despite mixed critical reviews, last year's photorealistic remake of The Lion King was able to gross over $1 billion at the worldwide box office. The movie was so successful that Disney is planning a follow-up which is set to be directed by Barry Jenkins of Moonlight and if Beale Street could talk fame. The follow-up is supposed to be a sequel-prequel hybrid of some sorts in the vein of The Godfather Part 2. I haven't even bothered seeing the John Favreau-directed remake because the 1994 animated movie of The Lion King is such an all-time classic, why bother remaking it? Yet, Disney is going to keep on moving forward with producing live-action interpretations of their animated properties because it's all about the money. With that being said, I would not be surprised if this ends up being a box office disappointment like other sequels Disney has produced to their live-action reboots, such as 2016's Alice Through the Looking Glass and last year's Maleficent Mistress of Evil. Another thing I would like to point out is that Barry Jenkins has made two of the best movies of the last decade. What the hell is he even doing making a big jump to multi-million dollar CGI films like that. We've seen how rough of a track record it can be for auteur filmmakers to make the jump from smaller movies to bigger VFX movies. At times, they more or less end up feeling like directors for hire. A good example of this would be M. Night Shyamalan. After having made a name for himself on suspense thrillers such as 1999's The Sixth Sense, 2000's Unbreakable, and 2002's Signs, he made two multi-million dollar VFX-heavy films in a row such as 2010's The Last Airbender and 2013's After Earth. Yet neither of those turned out well. Even Knight has admitted his regrets taking on both of those movies, saying that he felt really lost during the making of them. So when he went on to make 20. 15th The Visit, he made the decision to begin investing in his own productions as an attempt to regain artistic control after his recent movies at the time had been denied Final Cut and were even taken away from him in post-production. Seeing how more successful Shyamalan has been in recent years with The Visit, 2017 Split, as well as the Apple TV Plus series Servant, turns out he's much better off doing smaller-scaled projects as opposed to working as a director for hire on big studio films. In a recent interview with the New York Times, Denzel Washington revealed that he hopes to bring Barry Jenkins on board to direct a film adaptation of the August Wilson play, The Piano Lesson. If that ends up happening, then that'll definitely be the one Barry Jenkins film we can all look forward to more in the future. For our final subject, I'd like to take this moment to remember four industry veterans we've lost within this past month. Actress Diana Rigg died of cancer on September 10th at the age of 82. While she was best known for her roles as Emma Peel in the 1960s British television spy series The Avengers, not to be confused with the Marvel franchise, Teresa Di Vicenzo in the 1969 James Bond film On Her Majesty's Secret Service, and Olena Tyrell in the HBO series Game of Thrones, she also appeared on Broadway four times. She made her main stem debut in 1971, starring in Ronald Miller's play Abe Lard and Heloise. 
she followed that up with an appearance in 1975 in The Misanthrope. In 1994, Diana Riggs starred as the title character in a revival of Medea, which won her a Tony Award for Best Lead Actress in a Play. Her fourth and final Broadway appearance was in 2018 when she played Mrs. Higgins in Lincoln Center Theatre's recent revival of My Fair Lady. Novelist Winston Grimm died from a suspected heart attack on September 17th at the age of 77. He was best known as the author of the 1986 novel Forrest Gump, which served as the basis for the 1994 Academy Award-winning film of the same name. When Paramount Pictures bought the film rights to the novel, Winston Grimm was paid $350,000 and was contracted for a 3% share of the film's net profits. And up Adapting the novel, the filmmakers took a lot of liberties. Director Robert Zemeckis, along with screenwriter Eric Roth, flipped the two elements of the book, making the love story primary and the fantastic adventures secondary. The book was also cynical and colder than the movie. I've never read the original novel, but I know Winston Grimm hated the movie for how much it deviated from his work. In 1995, a sequel novel titled Gump and Co. was published. On the first page, Winston Grimm had forced Gump tell readers, Don't never let nobody make a movie of your life story, and whether they get it right or wrong, it don't matter. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who is a former Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States, died from complications of metastatic pancreatic cancer on September 18th at the age of 87. She has been depicted in various forms of movies and TV shows. Immediately after hearing the news of her death, I saw that the 2018 biographical film On the Basis of Sex was on Showtime anytime, so I decided to give it a rewatch. While it may not be the best Ruth Bader Ginsburg biopic we could have asked for, I still think the finished product is quite good. It does tell a very empowering true story. Felicity Jones gives a strong performance as a young RPG, though Army Hammer is also terrific as her husband, Martin Ginsburg. Not to mention that Kathy Bates as Dorothy Canyon is a very welcomed presence in this movie. Overall, the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg made this experience of watching on the basis of sex all the more moving in my opinion. Tommy DeVito died of the coronavirus on September 21st at the age of 92. No, this is not Joe Pesci's character from Martin Scorsese's 1990 classic Goodfellas. His real name was Tommy Simone. This is musician Tommy DeVito, who was best remembered as a founding member, baritone vocalist, and lead guitarist of the pop rock band The Four Seasons. He is depicted in the hit Tony-winning musical Jersey Boys. Actor Christian Hoff won a Tony Award for playing Tommy in the original Broadway cast in 2006. In the 2014 film adaptation directed by Clint Eastwood, he was played by Vincent Piazza. My condolences definitely go out to all of their families. So that just about does it for the news of this month. I will be back on November 2nd, just in time for Election Day, to discuss any bit of entertainment news stories that I found interesting and or important from October. If you love this show, please leave us a review. Go to ratethispodcast.com slash carereviewspodcast and follow the simple instructions. 
Feel free to subscribe to wherever you get this podcast. If you'd like to find more content from me, please visit my website, which is www.curereviews.net. You can also find it on Twitter at curereviews and me at Jeffrey Care. Thanks for listening, and I will see you all later.